everyone and welcome to Discussing Trek. Today we are reviewing Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 4, All is Possible. Thank you for listening and subscribing. What we do here on this podcast is review each and every episode of Star Trek in somewhat excessive detail, in addition to talking all things Trek. And boy, do we have what I feel is an exciting episode to talk about tonight. Like always, I'm your host, Clarence, and I'm joined by my fellow co-host slash Trekkies, Cal Jones. How you doing, man? You know what? I am glad once again to be on with you guys and season's greetings for everyone listening as of this recording. Of course, we're in the holidays, so season's greetings to everyone, to you guys, and happy to be here. So, woohoo. Can't wait to get into it. Oh, yeah. We're counting down the days till Christmas. And also on the podcast, we have the Trek story himself, Jonathan Shorts. How are you doing, dude? I'm doing great, man. Doing great. Just glad to be on again, talking a little bit of Trek. And as Cal said, in season's greetings. Happy holidays to everybody. Oh, yeah. And we're not going to waste any time. We're going to get right into our review of Star Trek Discovery. All is possible. All is possible was written by Alan McElroy and Eric J. Robbins. The episode was directed by John Ottman. Tilly and Adira lead a team of Starfleet Academy cadets on a training mission that takes a dangerous turn. Meanwhile, Burnham is pulled into tense negotiations on Navarre. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand the battle stations. I'll give you the right. You cannot destroy an idea. At ease before you sprain something. Like always, we go to Cal Jones for the beats of the episode. Sometimes serious, sometimes comedic. You never know. Cal Jones, what do you have for us this week? So, guys, I tried very, very hard to mince my words on this one. I tried to make it condensed as possible, but I could not because, well, you'll see why I could not. But (laughs) so here we go. Episode 4 of Star Trek Discovery Season 4 reminds the viewer of several key points. Number 1. Strength can be found in the comfort of strangers. Number 2. Politics is like a game of chess. However, with this, sometimes the president needs the captain as much as the captain needs the president. Mm. Number 3. You cannot find your future friend if today you assume to hate them. Number four, a journey unexpected may be the journey most needed. As stated last week, this season continues, in my opinion, to showcase not only some of the best writing in Trek, but also in current sci-fi. And because of this, and because of the most important point, it reminds us that all is possible. True words, Mr. Jones. True words. I can't wait to dive into all of that. But first, John, what are your overall thoughts of the episode? Hmm. It was good. It was a little slow paced for me, which I get was kind of the point of it. But it was good. I think it it flushed out a lot of tension that we were experiencing throughout our cast of characters. So... I mean, overall, good. Just just a little slow for me. Interesting. Mr. Jones, you have any additional thoughts? You know, I don't like disagreeing with you, Jonathan, but I, I agree with you. Well, maybe I'm not disagreeing with you, but I will agree with you that it was slow, but it was not slow in a boring sense to me. I'm a guy that likes the big payoff. I like the bills that give me a payoff. This gave me a payoff of several things they had been working toward, and it gave me that. And I thought it was good. I liked the fact that, yes, while you did have action sequence, you had, to me, more action on a character level of character development than you did in starships fighting each other. And I personally just really loved that. Mr. Jones, I absolutely agree with you. I love this episode. And as I went online to hear rumblings of what people were saying, I heard a lot of people say they really hated this. And of course, 90 percent of that is going to be the people who don't even like Discovery in the first place. But man, talk about setting up things earlier in the season and paying it off. Just as Kyle just said, 
I just loved all of the questions I had early on came to a resolution in this episode for for Tilly. I just really love that. I think it was classic Trek in the sense of this away mission, which I thought was well done to me. If we had a and this is not a dick to Lower Decks at all, but if we had a serious version of Lower Decks, this was what I would expect to see, you know, cadets coming together on a mission with a strong lead uh, running the mission and and just kudos to, to Mary Wiseman for her performance, just spot on. And ultimately, even with the parts that I felt were might be what John is referring to, the slow parts, the politics parts. I feel like even that was classic Trek because a lot of what we get in TNG and even maybe slightly less in DS9. But you definitely get the politics side of it, the the ceremony part of it when you're bringing in new worlds. Uh, so I, I, I ate it all up. I just really loved everything about this episode. You know, I'm going to go so far as to add one more bit to that. I'm going to predict that when Trekkies or Trekstorians and viewers, etc., 20 years from now, 10 years from now, look back on Discovery, I think this is going to be one of the episodes that people will migrate to as being a catalyst point. And in Star Trek, Mm. because if they keep building this future, we're going to look at when was the, you know, when did Navarre rejoin the Federation? What episode was that? Oh, yeah, that was Star Trek uh, Discovery season four episode. What is it four? Yeah, that's episode four. So so you see where I'm going with that? I, I think people are going to look back on this for the cerebralness of it in a very fun way looking at it 10, 15, 20 years down the road. Yeah. And again, to me, that's 50% of Star Trek is the politic, not really politics so much, but the ceremony and the negotiation part of it, you know? So even the, the, the payoff with Burnham and our hatred of politics, I think we get some solution to that in this episode as well. So again, I ate it all up. So Jonathan, if you don't mind, I would like to ask a question. If you could have changed something about this episode that would have made it more attuned to where you would have said, I love this episode, what would that have been? I'm just curious. Mm. So this is going to sound very, uh, well, well, I'll just say it. So (laughs) it, it was too much of the motivational conversation for me. And I guess I'm kind of coming up. So I've been trying to catch catch back up on like I started watching. I mentioned this before uh, the CW version of Flash. Yeah. And and I think how you mentioned we made a joke about it. Like and as as I'm getting later in the season, it's like every three minutes there's some motivational conversation of you can do it. It's not your fault. It's blah. like, and it's like, I can't get forward because we have to stop and do this feel good speech. Like everything is feel good speeches. And that's kind of starting to push me away from the flash because not that saying I disagree with it. I like it, but it's like, now it's just like, you're forcing it to me. Like you're trying to make this a, a, like a, I don't know. Well, and I get it like Flash, you know, a lot of children are probably watching it. So it's probably good to instill those qualities in them and those morale, that morality in them. But like I just in this episode of Discovery, I just felt like there was too many of those moments for me. Like, I think some of them were important. And one of my favorite scenes was one of those where it actually seemed genuine. But a lot of the others just kind of seemed forced in my opinion. And that's probably what I, I would have kind of toned down a couple of those. Well, let's, let's, let's just take it that way. Let's, let's get into it. Which one was your favorite out of these? And and again, before, before you even start, I will say this was an episode that paid off a lot of those. I, I felt like this season might be going too deep in that emotional realm that we did last season. And I felt like, at least with this one, this season, only four episodes in, while we haven't come to a complete conclusion on all of those strands, I feel like we got a pretty good payoff on 90% of them. And and like I said at the beginning in my overview, it's, you know, I am thankful that we're 
I mean, obviously, a lot of this for all of our characters kind of been boiling up like it's just been building and you could feel that tension like and we needed we needed, as you guys are saying, a resolution to this. And I think we did get it. But I think a few of them were just maybe a little over the top for me. Well, let's, let's talk about the one you liked and the ones you disliked. Um, well, I mean, I obviously I'm pretty sure everybody's favorite, but the one that felt the most real and the most fitting for this episode and where we are was uh Burnham's conversation with Tilly at the end, which I don't want to jump to that end. But uh, yeah. Oh, my like, God. That like really like that hit me in the feels, as Jeremy would say. So good. Um, yeah. So, and it was it was like that. Like, I almost felt like a lot of that may have been just ad libbed. Right. Like it it was so good. It like didn't even seem scripted. Like you could like it just seemed like Mary Wiseman and Sonika Martin Green were like just talking as friends outside of the set. And that made it really good. Like I felt that from Tilly. I felt that from Michael. Like I that just felt really good. Now, the one that I probably could have done the most without and I get where they were going with it. I felt like it still was a, like Tilly's motivation to these cadets just was a little over the top for me throughout oh, the whole thing. I loved I, it. Absolutely I did, loved it. I did like it. I, I love the idea. I love the growth Tilly was showing. And I think she is the perfect person to do that. And I think what she was telling them and how she was tell I, I think what she was saying and the point she was trying to get across was absolutely perfect. But it just seemed, I don't know, like I, I know, out of place. I know exactly what's wrong with you. You need to disconnect from the flash drive. <laughs> yeah. now, seriously, because, because I think that has corrupted your thought process. And I'm making a joke on the flash, seriously, because I know where you're coming from. It's like, oh, it's 19 minutes into the story. It's time for Barry to cry. So I, I get and I really, really think that that kind of has kind of turned you off to the feelings yeah. because it's so much of it in that show. It and and it was a lot of it in this episode and especially the Tilly on this mission with the cadets. It was like one after another different type of and I get it. I think it was needed because you have these raw cadets with a lot of emotions and feelings and inexperience. Uh it, it's just it was it was it was just kind of it kind of threw me off. And like you said, I, I and I honestly like leading up to this recording, like that was just in my mind. Like when we talk about this and the only thing I could think of was, you know, if I hadn't have been watching Flash, I probably would have appreciated this more. So you're exactly right. And I don't I don't want to take away from the episode like I I still think it was done really well. It was great. It was needed. But that just I, I like I didn't enjoy it as much because of that. I think that some of the things they were doing with the cadets and with Kovic sending Tilly on this mission, I kind of felt like some of that was maybe analogous to us in the real world and kids having to go to school over Zoom and not being able to have some of that social interaction. I feel like maybe they were playing in that realm a little bit to relate to current times just a little, maybe. But uh, I think the overall message of that was still very good and well. And I think this is some of the points that some of the people thought was heavy handed that I was speaking of earlier. Um, they thought that maybe uh, some of that having uh, the, the cadet Gorev and, Harrell be just like totally hate each other. They felt like that was maybe too preachy and too on the nose. For me, I feel like it's fit perfect within the realm of Star Trek, though. It did. And it also fit perfect with the times we're in. Like it. I mean, obviously, they've I know this is like that interaction between them two is a very small part that we'll probably never touch on again. Maybe we will. But like the previous season in the first part the previous season the end of the previous season the first part is kind of built to that interaction like there's a tension between orions and many other cultures because yeah. they enslaved a lot of different cultures of people a lot of different species and like we kind of needed to see the impact of that like after the emerald chain has been disbanded or brought into the fold whatever you call it like we kind of need to see the repercussions of it like they, that was a big deal like, we need to know how we're going to recover from that. 
And speaking of, one of my favorite moments of this story, and I had completely forgotten about it until you guys were talking just now, whether this was directed or whether the actor did this on his own or just did it out of instinct. But after they have the scene where the other guy and the Orion and they're coming to terms and they, you know, they have this realization light bulb moment when they're beginning to all walk away. It was the guy that played the other character that was not Orion just put his like arm on the back or the shoulder of the guy that was playing the Orion. And to me, that spoke volumes. I thought that was so cool. From every aspect of this, I just like seeing them come together. And even from the cadet Sasha that basically says she's only seen humans, you know, I mean, that's <laughs> like like the person that's never had a friend from another race or something, you know, I just I don't know. I just loved all of that and ate it up completely. Uh, and I love seeing the different aspects of these cadets having to come together and Obviously, a huge part of Starfleet is working together. I feel like in so many aspects, that was another theme of this episode. We have to work together, whether you're the politicians or you're the people starting out as cadets. You have to find a way to work together to get to come and go. And a a great thing about the Sasha character, like you mentioned, Clarence, it kind of kind of points out, you know, we tend to kind of lose perspective on what Starfleet is and then what the Federation is and like how important it is and what, what they do on a a daily basis. Like, but look at it from someone like Sasha and any, any Terran, right? Like if they're not in Starfleet, chances are they have not seen many other species. Yeah. You know, I mean, let alone any at all, like maybe a Vulcan here and there and still on earth, it's not, a big thing unless you're somewhere near a Starfleet headquarters or Starfleet facility. So, I mean, it kind of takes you back so you can kind of see the grandness of what Starfleet and the Federation means. And now you're seeing it through Sasha and that just kind of gives you a different perspective. So I love that comment. And I have to say, I really love seeing Tilly get in this situation and, and being able to take control. You know, we briefly saw her last season jump into the captain's chair and get to, command discovery for for just a little bit i just feel like in this situation where things were going to to hell in a handbasket very quickly (laughs) you know they're headed for this m-class moon and they wind up on this l-class moon a different l-class moon i just feel like we've seen the evolution of tilly be and she's even mentioned it the path she's on is to be a captain someday and the tilly i saw in the first episode saying those words to the Tilly we're seeing now. I'm I've just loved the full the 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 span of that journey and, and where she's come. And even though she's overly silly sometimes, she's even like that in this episode a few times. Uh I just feel like when the moment came she was able to arise to it pretty quickly and actually lead some people. You know, I re- I was really impressed yeah. by that. And so let me throw this out here because uh, my wife actually watched this episode with me. And the first thing she said, and I mean, she's not I mean, she's gotten into trick. But the first thing she said, like during this whole scene, she's like, is this a simulation or is this for real? Oh, yes. I love that. <laughs> I love when that cadet said that. And your wife mentioned that? Really? Yes. My wife said that. And like and, I, and it got me thinking because, you know, I mean. You think back on previous uh, Starfleet Academy cadets and training situations, a lot of times they put them in what they assume are dangerous and difficult scenarios. And it turns out to be a simulation. Yeah. And like I'm thinking maybe COVID COVID set this up for I'm not I mean, I'm just guessing here, but maybe he set this up to kind of see if Tilly was what he was looking for. Maybe, but if if that's the situation, um, he did a darn good job of fooling me. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was it was very real, and it's very real, and it didn't it didn't flush out in this episode. So I mean, it's doubtful. Yeah, but again, like even my wife, and she's not as avid of a trekkie as I am. But I mean, even she's seen enough Starfleet Academy episodes to kind of question this could be a simulation. Yeah. 
And and we even we even got the same thing on one of the last few episodes of Lord Dex when they were going into the hollow simulation chambers. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I don't think it was, but I also thought for a moment, eh, could it be? I don't think it was, but yes, I thought it might might have been too. Yeah, and I also liked that on that shuttle we saw the blast shields go down, which I don't remember that much in Trek, but I thought that was pretty cool. Again, after having just seen that on Lower Decks, <laughs> yeah. I, I appreciated seeing it here. I thought it was really cool. So you see it a lot on uh, shuttles throughout yeah. Trek Voyage. I think the Delta Flyer had blast shields. Yes, and You're right. You're right. Uh, Defiant had blast shields and the little shuttle off of the Defiant had blast shields. Matter of fact, I watched that episode a couple of nights ago. Remember when the Defiant, the shuttlecraft like shrunk, went through this anomaly and shrunk? Yes, yes. <laughs> and they had to open the blast shields to see. So, yeah, it's good to see that on this. And I'm glad that's, that they kind of keep that going. It's this little thing. That's what's great about Discovery. Like, it, and I, actually, I mean, we've seen it in Prodigy. We've seen it in Picard. But especially in Discovery, like these little things that they pull from previous trick. And it's not, it doesn't stand out a lot, but it, it like, it like, a good trick fan like recognizes it and appreciates it. <laughs> yeah, so good. So good. And I also love that these Tuscadian t- spider creatures were tra- attracted, of course, to electromagnetic signatures as they would be. <laughs> I was about to say, aren't they always? <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just so good. So good. Kyle, what are your thoughts on Tilly's heroic moment at the end? Kind of putting herself on the line to. To save the cadets. Mm. Character growth, I don't think it was unexpected. And I will go so far as to point and push back a little bit on her being silly. And again, I made fun of the character from the very beginning, so I'm preaching to myself here. But I think the silliness is no more than some of the corny jokes I do sometimes because (laughs) it's just a defense mechanism of where you just do that because that's what you do when you're either nervous, uncomfortable, or blah, 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 whatever the case may be. I think that that's part of what she does. That said, I wasn't shocked. I wasn't surprised. I think it was perfectly in character for her. And and, and also part of that mission was for them to bond and get to know each other better. And I loved seeing Adira now being apart from Gray, them having that opportunity or I guess responsibility at this point to actually go in and make friends after having been so closely linked to Gray all this time. I thought that was a good exercise for them. And also, John, I kind of want to ask you about and I know we kind of touched on it last week about when a uh, Trill gets a new host and having to, in a sense, not start from the beginning, but kind of just having all this knowledge, but still they may be in a person that's not as knowledgeable as the previous host. And I feel like we got a little bit of that exploration in this episode from Adira linking back to their previous host, but also having to have some of those new experiences themselves and in learning to make new friends. And I, I kind of relate to Ezra just a little bit, but but go ahead. Yeah, I was, that's what I was going to say. It's just, you know, it's the same situation. You know, Ezra Dex, when she got the symbiont, like she she wasn't planned for it. So, you know, when for a trio, like that's the whole goal in life to be joined. And if that's your goal, you start training for that at a very young age. And you're prepared for they have different. I mean, they, of course, education classes and situational training and like just wisdom that's imparted to you from the the guardians. Like it, it's a it's a big deal to be joined. And Esri's problem, and it shows a lot with Esri's small arc, is she was not ready to be joined. She just so happened to be the only trill in the area when they had to move this symbiont to something. The symbiont had to go into a host to save the symbiont, mm. and Esri was the only trio. So the Esri you get is what happens when someone who was not prepared to join, they're joined, and it's just, it's overwhelming. 
they know a lot, but they don't know enough about themselves to kind of balance that out. Mm. And I could just imagine what that conflict inside of you would be. You know what I mean? And we have the same thing here with Adira and they were not ready to be joined. It just so happened that the accident happened and the same had to go somewhere. So it went to Adira. Yeah. And yeah. now you're starting to see that play out. I I really liked, I, I liked and didn't like, I mean, I felt bad for Adira, but it got to a point and Adira's like, well, you know, I have all this knowledge and I've been on discovery and I'm going to, I'm, I should be more in this situation until yeah. he's like, uh, no, you need to <laughs> stay in your lane. That was interesting. But, yeah, it was. But I mean, Tilly was not wrong. Like Adira needs to learn how to be Adira first. Mm, I love that. Before Adira can become this, the joined trio that Adira is like and that. And that and it shows a lot through Adira's actions. And I think Tilly recognized that and just kind of shut it down. I hate it. I hated it. I felt bad for Adira, but <laughs> I mean, it, need, it was needed. I necessarily didn't feel bad. And I only necessarily didn't feel bad because I knew Adira was going off assumptions. And I think she needed that moment. And I thought, I thought that that was showing a little backbone for Tilly. Yep. yep. And it gave Adira what Adira needed. Yeah. I'm just, I, you're not wrong. I just felt bad. Like, I just and put myself in that situation. I just, <laughs> I'd be like, uh, it was kind of deflating, right? Like, if that was you, you like, oh, you just knocked me down a couple notches. That's <laughs> up. Yeah. But I, I agree with you, Clarence. I'm glad to see that separation from Gray. Like, I think Adira needs to develop outside of that connection at some point. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like they're, they're well on their way to, to doing that with this episode. Now I do like, and I keep forgetting that Kovic is a doctor, but I guess Dr. Kovic or whatever. Uh, but I do like that. He feels the crew of discovery having come from a different time has a different perspective on the Federation Starfleet, Starfleet Academy and of course, he thinks they're valuable to the cause of this rebuilding that they're currently in. Now, speaking of Adira coming to terms with who they are, uh, we do get a great notion of Tilly in this episode coming to terms with who she is with early on saying that she has a feeling of being lost. And she talks about how she always felt she was destined to be in the captain's chair. And as witnessed by our previous episode in the Quatmalot, she thought that was her path, but obviously her path has changed and it's not so clear now, or is it? So by the end of this episode, we find out very sadly, you know, as you mentioned earlier, John, having that full circle moment in the room, which mutineer Burnham first came to, to join Tilly to be a roommate, they are once again back in that same room where it all started. And um, she mentions that becoming a lieutenant was the worst day of her life, which to that, my heart just sunk. <laughs> <laughs> and Bertle made the comment, you, you want to go back, don't you? You, you really want to go back? And I just found that sad, very sad for Tilly, but I'm, I'm really glad that she... I'm, I guess she's found her place. What do you guys think of, of Tilly going to Starfleet Academy? She's on a journey. And I think it's a good reminder to all of us watching that the journey you start out on may not always be the journey you wind up on. And sometimes the journey is more important than the destination. I've heard that on something before. But sometimes it's more about being on the journey and less about your final destination. Mm. Yeah. And so, and I don't remember the exact quote that she said, but I mean, she, she's basically saying, you know, her, her whole life was, you know, devoted to being a captain, but that was kind of someone else's goal. That was, she, she was doing that to prove a point to her parents. I think she said, or something yeah. like her mother. The mother was a politician. Yeah, right. Right. So to prove a point and to I'm going to go to Starfleet and I'm going to be a captain and I'm going to be the best at it just to prove you wrong. 
Mm. Well, you think about it now you're this far in the future and unfortunately mom is no longer there. So now what is your real goal? Mm. Like, what are you doing? Are you doing this for you or were you doing it to prove a point? And now that you realize that now that you have, you're not trying to conform to something that somebody wanted you to be, or you're trying to go against something that someone wanted you to be. Now that those restrictions are not on you. You kind of can explore whether or not this is your path. And I think that's where she hit. And she's realizing just now that I'm going to actually be Tilly. Mm. And, it, and as funny as all of that sounds, I really do feel like on that shuttle with those cadets, she really had a captain moment. She the way she took charge. And I was proud of her for that. But, yeah, I, I do love that she's finding her place in all this, <laughs> her place in the world. I just I just really love that. And of course, we get the all is possible globe and the NX01 Enterprise within the globe, which I thought was was pretty fantastic. Yeah, that was awesome. That was awesome. Now, we're going to go back and talk about the political stuff a little bit. But I want to ask, was this a backdoor pilot? Because I didn't think about it till I watched it the second time. I'm like, are they piloting a Starfleet Academy show right here? Is that what they're mm. doing? Mm. It sounds great, but I hope not. Not right now. It's I don't too much. think it. I, I, if we don't see Tilly again the rest of the season, I will say yes. I think the character is. I don't think this is the last time we've seen Mary Wiseman this season. I don't know why I say that, but I don't get the feeling that she was written out of the show. So in the ready, the ready room after show, she spoilers. Um, I think it was mentioned that she would come back in some form. I don't know yes. if it's full time, but but Kirksman did pitch and there is a Starfleet Academy show in development. Ah. I, I don't know if that takes place in 3188 or wherever we are now in the future <laughs> or if that take takes place in the Picard timeline or in the team, you know, somewhere in that era. I don't know if, where it takes place exactly, but there is one in development. So it is possible that this could be, you know, a kickoff to that. I would rather for it to be a maybe a Starfleet Academy like based movie. Mm. I just feel like we have too many spinoffs happening. We're still waiting on the Section 31. We're still waiting on Captain Pike's Enterprise. We have Picard going and then Lower Decks and Prodigy and Discovery. Like it's just it's I don't want to say overload. I don't think you can ever have too much trick. But at the same time, I think too many takes away from the rest. See, Jonathan, I disagree with you, but in a half disagreement. And what and the way I'm halving my disagreement is I don't see Picard as a long-term series. I see it as three or four series. I maybe don't see The Strange New Worlds as a seven or whatever series. I'm wondering if what they're doing is telling four or five seasons of a story, sort of like the MCU, and then telling another part of the story. So you may have three or four Star Trek series, but they kind of rotate in and out. Yeah. And and wow, good point, because that made me think of, say, a Falcon and a Winter Soldier or a Hawkeye, you know, or something that is telling it could tell this story of Starfleet Academy, but instead of being a two hour movie, it could be like a six episode limited series. You know, I would definitely love something like that, something in the veins of our short tricks, but just longer form, you know, make it six episodes and we're done with it. You know, I think that could be pretty cool. See, and I guess I guess it's just a difference of opinion. But even when you get to uh, the Marvel Universe, like I, I was I was all on board for it and they're all still great movies right yeah but it just got to the point there were so many (laughs) spinoffs and so many other side stories that i just got and it's the same thing with this cw thing like even watching going through flash there's a couple of episodes in flash where it goes off and they say to continue story watch the episode blah blah on the other show like all of the crossovers and it it's like, listen, I'm not going to watch. I'm not going to be flipping back and forth from three different series. Like, Flash it's just too much. you, man. Flash, well, I'm, I'm going to set the huge difference here. The huge difference is Flash is like a 22, 24 season episode season. 
Whereas this, these are like ten episodes. You know, Discovery is the longest out of all of them. <laughs> but I mean, is it in the same way as the uh, Marvel movies? Like, I'm, I'm still hadn't. There's a lot of the Marvel movies I haven't seen. But they've been coming out over the last fifteen years. I mean, come on, dude. <laughs> but still, it's just I'm, I'm confused. I just, I guess I don't. I'm not. I'm not one of those people that like spend a whole lot of time trying to figure out what to watch and what's important and figuring out where I missed it. And like, Oh yeah, that was on this movie. And that's why it ties into this movie. Like you're exactly just wanna, that person. What are you talking about? You do a Star am, Trek all the time. <laughs> we digress. <laughs> I, I, well, well, but let me say this. Maybe, maybe I can kind of wrap, wrap it up a little bit, which is it's okay, Jonathan, if you don't like all the different shows and you choose one or two, there's nothing wrong with that. But likewise, just on the other flip of that, for somebody that does want to submerge themselves, whether it's in Marvel, whether it's in Trek, whether it's in Doctor Who, whatever, you, you've got that for those that want to submerge. We've pretty much all of us said we really don't care for Lower Decks. And chances are we could, if we had to cut one, I know exactly which <laughs> one we all, without a doubt, would cut. But there's people out there that might like it. Yeah. Well, see, the problem, my problem is like Marvel Cinematic Universe, like I like them all. There's none I don't dislike. The CW crossovers and all that, like I like them all. But I just don't have the time to spend. So what spend. you're saying is we're in the golden age of television and you are just whining because there are not enough hours in the day. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> Which I is not so. a bad thing to I whine about. It. I feel, I'm the same way, though. I completely agree with you <laughs> on that aspect. But anyway, I mean, to take it back to Trick, I just like I want to fully enjoy Discovery and Picard. Like, I want to fully enjoy that before I devote my attention elsewhere. All like, right. I want that to be the highlight of the, like, I want to be talk about, you know, in 2021 or 2022 or whatever, whenever the season ends or the show ends for sure. Like, that was the highlight. Man, I love the past two years. Of that same thing with DS9. Like, I love that time of Trek. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? I want to go back to that. I don't want to come back and say, man, I love that time in Trek with this show, this show, this show, and this show. Hopefully they do it in a concurrent way. You know what I mean? I don't mind Starfleet Academy show if it's like end one and let's start one. Yeah. Which, which you know, I think that's what they're pretty much planning to have something fresh and new every quarter, you know, right. uh, which is fine with me because I'm, you know, we talk about Star Trek. So it's great. I'm great. I'm great. <laughs> <laughs> But let's let's go ahead and dive in a little bit of the the political stuff, which probably, you know, obviously the more boring part of this episode, but still found slightly intriguing. Navarre's fast track negotiations to rejoin the Federation and Burnham and Mr. Saru have joined to help participate because somebody dropped out uh, rather just weirdly. Navarre and the Federation come to an impasse as the Navarian people want an amendment to the agreement with the option to exit the Federation, an exit clause. Under extreme situations, the Federation president proposes unconditional withdrawal is unacceptable. In light of what has happened in the past, was Navarre right for, to ask for this exception to withdraw from the Federation? Absolutely. Hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm not, on a political standpoint. Yes. But on a making progress standpoint. No. Like our goal is to make progress. Why throw that in there unless your goal is to hinder that progress? Oh, Be I disagree. Because keep what, going though. But well, because what could happen? I mean, you're. It's like you're putting the Federation president in a position where she has to come out as the bad guy, and mm. that's not where we want it to be. We're in the interest of progress. Like, I, I, I do get it, though. I do get where Navarre is coming from, like, especially after the burn and all that. Like, we don't want to have to be tied to you guys. And which this was new to me because I didn't know that that was an issue as far as the Federation. Like, if you wanted to become part of the Federation, you could. And if you didn't want to be part of it, that's fine as well. I never knew that there. And it's kind of hard to believe that the Federation, maybe it's new in this age, in this time. But it's just hard for me to believe that once you join the Federation, you're in, right? Like, that's mob thinking. Well, in the aspect of you want to get in and get all the benefits, you can't just leave whenever 
you know, you want to or something. You have to have a commitment. You have to have a stake. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah exactly. But it, I mean, is that not like I don't think we should. I mean, at this point, the Federation stands on ideals, trust and commitment. And mm, you shouldn't mm. have to have that in place to ensure that. But like you're if, talking, I think, in the, the in the TNG time. Right. That's not the case. Nine hundred right. years later. And that's that's what I said. I, I mean, I get it. And I think, you know, based on the time and what has happened, they had absolutely every right. And probably the smart thing to do politically is to request that. See, my thing is, I, I don't think that they were trying to play hardball. I think they being both sides, the Federation and the Navarre people did a great job of playing politics. Mm. And what I mean by that is they literally played it like the chess pieces that it was, but you presented it in a way of creating a third party to come in and literally give that alternative that saves face for both sides where no one is conceding, but everyone is agreeing and everybody gets what they want, which is Navarre coming back to the Federation. So I just think it was smart on both the president and the president of, you know, the, the planets as well as Navarre to play the game, the perfect, yeah. perfect game. Yes. Well, for me, that was one of the issues I had with the episode. And quite frankly, this would I've seen a lot of people complain about online. They're like, oh, my God, Michael Burnham comes to save the day again. She does it again. You know, and look, people, we are following the crew of the Discovery and Michael Burnham on on TNG. Who always saved the day? 90 percent was Picard and and maybe date, you know, the main crew members, you know, so. In a series with much less episodes where we're following the main character of Burnham, is it really that much of a shock that she saves the day? But that being said, that being said, (laughs) I feel like there should have been other back channels or private channels that they could have used to come to the same resolution in this situation. I really feel like they didn't really necessarily need Burnham for this. To me, it's basic politics, like call me on the, the, the hollow phone or whatever. Let's talk mm, about it. Not, not necessarily. It was, it was theater to me. It was political theater. I, I absolutely love this this part of the episode. It's probably one of my favorite parts. Uh, one one reason being is again it kind of gives you a, a a different perspective on what we come to love and know of Star Trek. We're always watching Starfleet operations, right? We never see Federation operations, mm. and it's, sometimes it's hard to separate the two. Like when we see a ship out there, we just think we're the Federation and you are right. But it's like, you know, it, this Starfleet is the military of the Federation. It's the the arm, the fist. It, like to see that separation in a political setting is great. Number one. Number two, to the people that didn't like it, like picture if Burnham wasn't in this picture, if it was just the conversation between the presidents, like then it, then it'll be, well, why do we waste time on this? Yeah. Then it would really be boring. Yeah. Uh, number three, it had to be Michael Burnham because of her ties to the Vulcan culture. Yeah. It had to be her. She had to be there in order for him to like, they couldn't just like nobody could reach out. There was nobody that could reach out to Burnham on either side and still remain politically neutral. So she had to be there. Number one. And they knew that she was tied to both sides of it. So she would be determined and Burnham wants to save everybody, which is true. Yeah. So she would eventually she would try to come up with a solution. So I think she had to be there. Mm-hmm. So, so let me add this real quick. I agree totally about your comment in regards to having characters and you're asking, why are they here? Totally understand that recently. Totally get it. That said, I have never before the last five minutes ever ever, ever distinguished Star Trek, the Federation, and Star Trek Starfleet as two separate entities, my brain is kind of like cracking at the moment. So, wow. Never thought of that as a distinguishing. Yeah. And again, that's what makes these scenes so great is just so you can see that separation. And it kind of touches home, right? Like we have the president and the Senate and all of that. And then we have the military. 
Yeah. Like, and we see a separation there in real life. Like there's that separation also exists during Star Trek times. Yeah. And I will say that this whole ordeal won me over, won me over a little bit more to, to, to President Rillick. Does this leave the president and Captain Burnham in a better place? Yeah, I believe so. Like I said, I think we mentioned earlier that we thought that uh, president had ulterior motives or something going on. But like and I think we mentioned this, she's just playing the part. She is a politician and she does have the Federation's best interest at heart. But she's doing what she does best is being political. But I think I think I think this episode kind of provided President Rillick with the opportunity to see where Michael was coming from. Mm. And it provided Michael an opportunity to see where the president was coming from. Once again, a payoff from some of the things we've been seeing in the earlier episode. So, uh, again, really, really appreciated that. Cal, real quick, talk about Saru and Tarina. What, what, Bounce Chicka Wow Wow? What's, what's going on there? You just <laughs> summed it up perfectly. Make that sound again. Go back, play it, re- rewind 15 <laughs> seconds, play it again. That said it all. I have nothing more to say. You said it perfectly. <laughs> yeah, it's fascinating to see. I think it it just feels like an intense fascination and appreciation of each other's intellect and mind. And, and, and that is the basis of their relationship, which is really interesting to see. And yeah, I just really love their interactions and seeing Saru handled like a chip because i would expect him to be kind of awkward and <laughs> but he's he's a pimp he's a pimp <laughs> <laughs> hey he already has the walk down man like <laughs> <laughs> at that last moment when she asked him to join her for tea he just kind of walked out with that sway like yeah that's mine there but it burned him giving it look like uh-oh <laughs> like what oh man oh man I guess we don't really have to go into books arc in this episode other than to say, John, I think you were completely right about him being the antithesis of the Vulcan culture and the way he's him and his people. The the Quasionese people are very emotional beings. And I had not got to this episode, the profound connection book had to the planet of Quajon. And they really I think they did a good job of expressing or, or illustrating like the profound connection he has to the planet. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the interaction between Dr. Culver and book during this. It, that I think that was done really well far from a writing perspective. Agreed. Uh, and, but just like to watch him and we know he's nowhere near close to normal but i mean to kind of watch him break down the first wall mm-hmm. in his mourning or his grief like I, I that was very much appreciated and it was done very gently you know what i mean like it wasn't out there in your face but you can see it you can see that progress and it's going to be a while obviously yeah the thing that i love most about that was it reminded you of not just in grief but just in pretty much anything in general that part of changing your perception of what you think and what can be. And I thought that was really cool. And something I've kind of, I think we touched on it at some point, or maybe I read a review, but it it made a good point. Like Colbert is playing, you know, ship's doctor and ship's psychiatrist. And the discovery crew has gone through so, so (laughs) much. And if there's any time you needed a ship's counselor, it's now. But we are kind, we've kind of forgotten what Cobra has gone through mm, in this process. Yeah. And I've, you know, here recently, the past couple of episodes, I was kind of like, man, Cobra is really holding this together for everybody and being everybody's rock. But he's going to need, like, I think Cobra needs to talk as well. And who do he talk to? And yeah. I think we're, they're kind of setting that up to be booked. It seems like he's diving into his work. Yeah. These past couple of seasons. And and it's good to see him take on that full on counselor role with, you know, counselor setting everything I thought was really, really good to see in this episode. Now, I would like to see more of Dr. Pollard, though, because 
I was going to make this distinction that Colbert is now more of the the counselor role versus medical doctor. Or is he going to we just saw what he did with Adira and Gray. Is he going to do like this dual role? I don't know. Have we even seen Pollard this season? I don't think we have. Uh, we have mention of her, but I don't I don't think we've seen seen her. But I don't know. Like I just for me in my head and I know we made this distinction over and over. Like, Cobra is the chief medical officer in my head. <laughs> yeah, that's what it seems like. All right. Well, I think we're going to wrap it up, guys. I will mention real quick that at 3.55 or 3 minutes and 55 seconds into the episode, Rutabaga is mentioned by Tilly. So USS Rutabaga is is is, is coming. <laughs> Just <laughs> Really? <laughs> And with that said, let's go ahead and get ratings for the episode. Cal Jones, what do you have for us, man? I'm going to give it a strong four out of five. All righty. A strong four out of five from Cal Jones. I'm going to go a little bit higher. I'm going to go with a 4.6. I really love this episode. I feel like it was a core, tricky feeling, political minutiae, away mission stuff. I I just loved it. I, I really enjoyed the episode. Jonathan Shores, what do you have for us, sir? Oh, man. I'm going to have to go. And I don't mean this any negative way. I just and like we said, I, I need to unplug from the flash drive. But <laughs> it's just it, it. some of the moments just seemed over the top for me. And for that reason, I'm going to go four three. OK, <laughs> fair enough, man. Fair enough. <laughs> oh, man. So, guys listening, what did you think of the episode? As always, you can send that feedback into fans at discussingtrek.com or hit us up at discussingtrek on any and all social medias. And with that, we'll go ahead and wrap up the episode. If you are into Doctor Who, you should definitely check out our wrap up of Doctor Who season 13, The Flux, which is Chipnell's last full season before we get the specials and then the eventual new doctor hope that's not a spoiler yay (laughs) (laughs) definitely check out our reviews of season 13 of flux you can do that by going to discussingwho.com thank you for joining and until next time guys live on and prosper Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to discussingtrek.com slash subscribe. Adventure. Your traveling companions are fellow fans of Doctor Who. That's right, it's the podcast Discussing Who, exploring the worlds of Doctor Who, past, present, and future. Find out more at discussingwho.com. You've been listening to the Discussing Network. Find out more at discussingnetwork.com. <laughs>